0: Welcome back to the Legacy of Your Motherhood podcast. This is Stephanie, your host. And if you are new here, welcome. And in this podcast, you guys, we rotate between five main topics faith, finances, health, marriage, and mindset. And the goal being that we're just working on becoming 1% better every single day in each of those five areas. And I believe the small, seemingly insignificant things will compound over time and can drive positive generational change. All right, you guys, today we have another episode in our Overcomer series. And these are just stories of women who have overcome something big in life that could have broken them, but it didn't. And instead, they have just figured out a way to put their feet on solid ground and to do things differently for their children or found a way to just be a light to others enduring the same thing. And our next guest in the Overcomer series tells her story of growing up in a home where her mother was a child of an alcoholic veteran of World War II, which really impacted the way that she was parented. And this is a really interesting story because her mother was not the alcoholic, but the impact still remains. And there's also a common theme I'm kind of realizing throughout these stories where we are really the first generation that has this green light, so to speak, to talk about our feelings or mental health or struggles or whatever else. And, you know, because in the past, all emotions really and hard conversations were always handled behind closed doors. Right? Like it used to be that you didn't fight in front of your children, or maybe you did, but th- there was at least a thing that people didn't fight in front of their children, or people don't talk about finances in front of other people. Everything happened behind closed doors. And there is still a stigma around this mental health and talking about our emotions and all that thing. But we are definitely more open now, which is such, such a blessing. And so, our guest today graciously opens up about her story and is the founder of My Body Couture and has been quoted in Reader's Digest, Prevention, Women's Health, Cosmopolitan, Working Mother, Spark People, My Fitness Bow, Beach Body. I could go on, okay? So, please welcome Janice. All right. Welcome, Janice, to the Legacy Through Motherhood podcast. Thanks for being on.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Sure. So, can you kind of um, take us back? Take us back to when you were a child, take us back to some of the experiences that you had um, as a child. I know it's shaped a lot of who you have become today. So, can you share that with us?
1: Yes, definitely. So, first of all, I was a child of the 70s. And so, just on a basic level, many people can relate to the parenting style in general in the 70s. We were all Grandchildren of the war generation, that stiff upper Mm -hmm. lip, we don't really express emotions, everything is always fine, and we just kind of shut down. And so, when I grew up, we definitely weren't encouraged to express. In fact, quite the opposite. My parents really did the best that they could, but Um, If I was crying, I was often told, Oh, you're not sad. And if I was to get angry, I mean, I have memories of I have a bit of a flashy temper. And my parents would make videos of that laugh. That's a common response um, to laugh. And so it was a little bit beyond just that kind of stiff upper lip, sort of passed down from World War II That's And it wasn't really until I grew up that I became aware that other people's parents and other people's moms weren't really like my mom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I knew that she loved me and I knew that she did the best she could. so I kind of, after I had my own child, started on a bit of a path to figure out what the heck was going on with that. And This was something I knew growing up, but I didn't have any idea how much it really impacted my mom and her parenting. But my grandfather was an alcoholic. So I grew up with the mom who was a child of an alcoholic and really was parented by that particular
0: emotional legacy. Hmm. Did she, was she an alcoholic as well? Or was it just, she kind of was a product of her raising kind of thing?
1: My parents, neither of them actually drink anything. A little bit now, a little bit today. So they right. kind of graduated to the place where they'll have a glass of wine <laughs> at Thanksgiving or Christmas. But you know, I remember being in high school and we had liquor bottles in the house that where the, the price label had been on them so long that they were flaking off. So these are, (laughs) I don't think there's any alcohol left in them. So my friends were absolute teetotalers in uh, every sense of the word. So I speak from the perspective, not of somebody who is actually directly living in the home with the alcoholic,
0: but who had the emotional legacy of that. Sure. So, so I'm assuming then with her father, um, did you say he was the bet? Yes. Okay. So he, I'm assuming in some capacity was not there emotionally for obvious reasons. (laughs) Um, Just that, yeah, just that like, you know, what gets passed down or whatever. And so then do you feel like your mother maybe didn't understand how to be there emotionally for you? Or do you feel like she just lacked the tools for that? Or do you think there was just kind of this wall up from, you know, like she's like, I don't really know what to do here. (laughs)
1: I think a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B. I mean, I think, I think I led the story by saying it was in the seventies. And I think that that wasn't a time like we're living in today. You know, I kind of talk about the world, the world changed when Oprah found her spirit in the 1990s (laughs) and kind of, I was parented and I grew up in the pre, in those pre Oprah years where nobody talked about their emotions. Nobody really went to therapy. I asked my mom somewhat recently, you know, why did you not kind of go and get these skills and, and these tools? And she simply said, like, it was the 80s. No, nobody, right. nobody mm-hmm. talked about that. Nobody did that. There wasn't anywhere to go. It, you know, there certainly were self help books out there, but they would have been on not more extreme scenario even if you think back to the 70s what a vegetarian was somebody who sought therapy and somebody who sought emotional tools would have been seen in that same light it was you had to seek it out but it also was just not really part of culture and society in any way in the 70s sure
0: Sure. and I feel like it's it's actually a common theme just um I mean for this series but also just in general like there's so much that generations before us I feel like just don't talk about like um, you know, like you were saying with this, you know, just feelings in general, people didn't talk about, but then also trauma, you know, like going to, I feel like mental health is just now starting to be this big thing where people are like, no, this is okay. Like you can go get help. You know, there's, there's still kind of, you know, a whatever on it, but I feel like it's just, at least we're talking about it. People also in generations before us didn't ever talk about money. You know, it was rude to talk about money. It was rude to talk about whatever. And so, You know, we've gotten now to this point and people feel like they can't talk about anything when it comes to finances, which is a huge part of my business is normalizing talking about finances because when we don't talk about it, that's how we get ourselves in trouble. Um, But same thing across the board. You know, when we don't talk about our feelings. When we don't talk about um, our mental health. When we don't talk about our X, Y, or Z, then we can't change. Right. And we kind of die this like really isolated death almost.
1: Yeah, that's right. So my grandfather served in World War II and nobody in our family knows much about those years of his life. And what we know is very, very brief. But when he came home, This was always shared to me in my childhood with this great sense of pride and this great sense of, oh, and your grandfather came home and he never talked about it again. And now that I have the emotional skills in the toolkit and have done a lot of reading and work around this, that is absolutely a red flag for the man was traumatized (laughs) and came home and didn't have any kind of tools or ability to start processing that, to start unpacking that and became an alcoholic, which had tremendous ramifications on the family. He was, he was a functional alcoholic. He was a bureaucrat. He did a lot for his job in terms of being a very important high profile figure. So he was able to be functional, but there was a lot of dysfunction in terms of emotion and how it got passed down through our family. And my child would be his great grandchild and we're still unstranding and unweaving the impacts of like my grandfather going to war and experiencing all of this trauma and death and violence, etc., not ever dealing with it. And then just passing that emotional stuffing <laughs> into his body with alcohol.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and what is alcohol? Like, or what is just even just being an alcoholic, right? Alcohol is just a way for us to cope with things. Yeah. And it is really interesting um, because... We don't real. I mean, I think that we've all kind of heard of the addiction gene, right? Like, I feel Mm -hmm. like that's something people have talked about and and how that can get turned on for generations. And I think it typically will take, it takes like four generations for that to be able to be turned off. And so, like, the next four generations are predisposed to that. They're just more vulnerable to become an addict. And it, listen, it doesn't even have to be alcohol, right? It can be drugs, it could be sex, it could be relationships, it could be whatever. It doesn't matter. Um and so it's really interesting that we're kind of on that um like you said your kids would be the what great great-grandchild great great okay. yeah. yeah so whatever that fourth generation is from the world from World War II it's like there is like epigenetics of trauma actually I have a whole episode on that with a um with an interview that I did but you know All of that trauma that your grandfather experienced got passed down to your mother, which is also in you, which is also in your child, right? That's still four generations. And so to be able to talk about that now is so, so powerful. And so I know you talked about you having a child now. So what are some things do you feel like you're super aware of because of your past that you really want to kind of like change the narrative on with you? I'm sorry, do you have a son or a daughter? I have a, a son. Gotcha. So what kind of things are you specifically like, okay, we're really honing in on (laughs) on this because this needs some work?
1: Well, I have a specific recollection of, you know, I don't remember how old he was, probably three. My son really has always been very emotionally even and quite stable. He wasn't a child who had a lot of temper tantrums. Um, But I would find myself actually flying off the handle. So things would build up. And I would just, you know, come into that flashy temper piece of myself, which Mm -hmm. doesn't actually frequently, honestly, doesn't get triggered a lot. But what it really was a result of is just things building up and me feeling like I had no outlet other than at some point, the the top blows, I start shouting, and I just, I I lose it. And I remember, (laughs) I don't even know what the issue was, but I was starting to get really agitated. We were on our way somewhere. We, our garage is underneath our building. So we have to go down some stairs to get downstairs. And I just remember feeling the sense of agitation, telling him to stop whatever little thing, honestly, I don't even remember what it was. So it was something that really didn't matter, but I was getting emotionally agitated as we were walking downstairs. And I kind of said, you know, if you do that one more time, I'm going to lose it. And I completely lost it. And I was standing outside the car. I, I had the foresight to get out of the vehicle and I was, ju- it, it was, there was snow outside. I was jumping up and down. I was screaming or we snowing around. And I live in the middle of a city, so I don't even know what, if somebody saw yeah. it, or heard it, or did it. Um, and I have a distinct memory of looking through the window at my son. Who could see me, my hands were in fists, I'm jumping up and down, I'm screaming, I'm literally having a temper tantrum outside the car. And he looked at me and laughed because it was something that he thought basically I'm putting on a puppet show for him, or <laughs> yeah. And at that moment, it was a huge change in my parenting because I recognized that I literally had no skill set whatsoever. In dealing with frustration, in dealing with anger, in dealing with sadness, in dealing with overwhelm, in dealing with grief, in dealing with you name the whole gamut of that negative emotional piece, I didn't know how to deal with any of it because I hadn't been given any skill set in my childhood. My childhood was you're not sad, and if you're angry, we're gonna laugh at you. You gotta shut that down. So until I had a child living with me 24-7, kind of pushing the button,
0: pushing the button,
1: pushing the button. Right.
0: They're known for that. (laughs) Yes.
1: I could kind of just box that up, shut down all those negative emotions. I realized subsequently that it also shut down a lot of the positive emotions, but that's a separate Mm -hmm. issue. Um, Mm -hmm. And just kind of leave the situation or you've already identified some of the things that I used to do. I would exercise too much or I would shop too much or I would drink too much or, you know, there was just always that I wasn't quite at the place ever with any of that where I was in quote unquote addict, but I would just have a constant stream of coping mechanisms, all of which were just sort of blunt all that out. And I got to that day where I'm jumping up and down in a snowbank with my son in the car, who mm-hmm. is of the age where he should be the one having the temper tantrum and realized that I just did not have the emotional skills and toolkit to parent a child because the way that I had been parented was simply don't have that feeling. And I'm not wired to have no feelings. So if I'm going to have these feelings, this isn't the legacy I want to give to my child of having temper tantrums when when he's the calm one. <laughs> right. Who is like
0: so i feel like i feel like there is just so there's so much there because seriously i feel like our kids will trigger things that happened when we were children as we're parenting them you know and it's like it's usually the kid well we have four boys but like it's usually the kid i feel like that reminds me most of myself at that age (laughs) i'm like man we are going head to head right now and it's truly like because well, I, I would never have been able to act like that at your age or I would have, you know what I mean? And it's like this all of a sudden you almost like go back into like your inner child and you become like scared or almost, or you become defensive or you, you know, I don't know. Like it's this weird thing that happens. I feel like when we become parents and we see little mer- uh, versions of ourselves, we're like, oh man. <laughs> this is the truth. This is totally the truth.
1: Yes. You are, you are watching yourself, but you have no control over that self. And that's what actually really made that shift start to happen for me because that's really how I coped with my emotions was to control them because I learned that they were not welcome. They were in some cases borderline dangerous and nobody wanted them around. So I could control them, but I can't control my son's emotions. (laughs) right So that's where I really felt like I needed to make some generational changes because much as my parents use that kind of iron fist to control those emotions, I wasn't able to in myself.
0: Right. And so then we we got to try to figure out how to yeah. show up. So we have to learn the skills first, right? Like we have to learn the skills so that we can teach them the skills, um, which is almost harder, right? Sometimes you wish you just freaking knew how we could say it and then whatever, but we have to also show, right? Like more is caught than taught. So we have to be able to be mad in front of our kids and self-regulate so that they can see what the heck we actually do. Uh, We can't just be going off the handles (laughs) and then telling them to like control themselves.
1: And I think that that's where that generational trauma really manifested in my childhood because there was never a time. And to this day, it still has never happened. My parents have never had an argument in front of me or any of my siblings, all the emotions are handled behind closed doors. So there's no tears. There's no nothing but irritation that borders into anger is, was ever okay to show. So I was never taught how to self-regulate and I was never taught how to have a disagreement with somebody. And I know that that wasn't something that my parents held back to be punitive or to um to do something that was negative. It just was something that never happened in front of us. I have never seen either of my parents cry. I've never seen them get into that sort of state and have to kind of pull back. It was simply just let's remove let's remove the problem, which was usually our emotions as children. Right. That was the well, problem. And it's- so let's shut that off.
0: And it's interesting because I wonder, do you have a, do you, and maybe not now, I know that you've grown a lot and we can get into that, but like, do you feel like you had trouble kind of trusting yourself even? Like, if you were not allowed to show emotion or like they were, you know what I mean? Like, you would get shut down if you felt scared or angry or sad or whatever. I feel like that would almost lend to you like, not trusting yourself and like how you like when you were saying you're not when they said you're not sad (laughs) or whatever like do you feel like that like really kind of confuse you to with or with your emotions just in general
1: absolutely I have a yoga teacher training and it wasn't until I sort of stepped into that kind of Mm. world where people sit and meditate and they really get in their bodies and I would start hearing narratives like just trust your body or listen to your intuition your inner self knows everything. And I was like, I don't even know what any of this is. Actually- <laughs> What I, are you saying? <laughs> yeah, 100%. And still to this day, I struggle with those kinds of narratives because I had to shut that off for my entire life, basically. Mm. And so when it comes to identifying emotions, that was one of the skill sets that I actually had to learn. There's a wheel of emotions and I will still reflect, reference that because it's not obvious to me what I'm actually feeling because I was told, you know, tears are running down my face. You're not sad. And I'm like, oh, okay.
0: Well, then what <laughs> am I? <laughs> right.
1: but When that's your, when that's sort of your normal, then. And it's, and it's
0: from your mom who is like your person, you know what I mean? Like regardless of the type of a relationship, it's like, well, if she's saying I'm not sad, then I don't know what this is. I'm something, but <laughs> what right. is this?
1: Right, exactly. And and what I've subsequently learned is that that is how we learn how to identify. We have that awareness and then we tag a word. I I'm, I'm a native English speaker, so we use an English word in my case to associate the feelings in the body and the physical manifestation of it. So there could be tears or there's, you know, stuff happening in your eyes and your head has a certain feeling, etc with that word sad. Only that wasn't given to me as these two things go together. So there was mm-hmm. a whole range of emotions that I knew had to be stopped. And to this day, I struggle with crying. I mean, I I know other people that think it's this amazing outlet. I still have internal shame and it almost is physically painful for me to cry. And when I cry, I know it's a really big deal. I don't find it that is an emotional release. It's not a benefit. It's nothing positive to me. Um, Mm. But there was whole ranges of emotions on that emotional wheel. I was never kind of given words for, I didn't know the difference between certain things. Uh, There wasn't a lot of awareness there. And again, that wasn't something that As an adult that I blame my parents for, they didn't have them either. You know, my mom certainly that would have been cut off in her home. And she parented a lot of the ways that she was given, which is let's just shut that down, stay out of the way, and don't upset the parent.
0: Well, and she was given she was parented the way that she was parented, but then also she was parenting with the resources that she had. I mean, like we are in such a unique connected time where we can learn so much, you know? And like, my mom always talks about this when like, like these exact, these exact kind of conversations, when she listens to these, she's like, man, where were you guys when I was trying to raise you? Because, you know, like we didn't have, like I had to sit and read a book or I, you know, like there wasn't that much out there. And, um, you know, so there just wasn't, I don't know, like you just listened to the radio and whoever was on there, that's who you listened to. And it's just like, Okay. And I think it's really important with what you just said about um, you, you have to identify it first, like you have to give it a name. And so uh, again, like I talked to, oh gosh, it's been a couple months now on a episode I did on coping skills and teaching it to our children and why it's so important. But this exact thing that you just said, let's teach our children more than just happy, mad and sad, right? Like when my kid is is mad because his brother got something he didn't, well, you're not mad, bud. Like, you're jealous. So let's talk yeah. about that. And yeah. and just because that's a different feeling. Do you know what I mean? Like, if somebody punches you in the face, well, okay, be mad. But if somebody gets something, you did. Anyways, it's just giving them this vocabulary that is bigger so that they can cope with that specific emotion. So I feel like that's really powerful what you were just saying with that.
1: Yeah, I think if we don't have the language to describe something, And in my professional work, I do this with people's bodies, but if we cannot actually have underlying awareness and then put languaging to it, the whole message that our body's trying to give us often will just blow us by. So we'll have these emotions we don't have any somatic connection. Somatics just basically means that connection to the sensations in our bodies. And then we also don't have that mental or verbal narrative that goes with it that identifies it, names it. There's a couple things that I notice for myself happen when I'm able to notice it and name it. And one of them is that it goes away much, much faster. So the second I can say, oh, I recognize the sensation in my body, it's anxiety. (laughs) it it gets cut in half versus just having this vaguely uncomfortable Feeling. thing that is happening. And I'm trying to stop it from happening by having a glass of wine or going for a walk or whatever it is. So I think that there's something tremendous about being able to notice and name things because we are then also put in a state of we're present for it as opposed to trying to
0: avoid it. Sure. And we're present for it. And then we can teach our kids to be present for it. And then we can have like, Oh, Hey, I'm feeling anxiety. Here's X, Y, Z tools, right. That will like fix this emotion. And here's X, Y, Z tools that will fix this emotion. And so I know that you have, um, I know that like moving your body and doing all of this kind of stuff, this is something that you have just been really passionate about. So is this what has kind of, do you feel like your your childhood and your story and all of this stuff has kind of led you into what you're doing now? Could you talk through kind of what you do right now?
1: Yeah, I can. Um, my business name is My Body Couture. So the couture part means custom. I work with people one-on-one who have pain in their body. And I'm a movement specialist. And when I'm talking about pain in the body, it's not from an impact injury. It is... Sore backs sore necks sore shoulders sore knees sore hips, things that a lot of people, especially in that 35 set, especially after children, just notice that there's those aches and pains and nagging bits and parts of the body that just don't feel great. Mm-hmm. Quite often, my clients have been to a chiropractor, massage therapist, an acupuncturist, etc., And much as those are great modalities, they're finding that those pains come back. And I did this work prior to, I did it part-time prior to having my child, but what I've really integrated into it, I opened my business after my child was born and I opened a business where it was truly one-on-one. This whole space is 400 square feet. So it is me and a client in a room. And what I didn't really anticipate was the emotional aspects that are in our body. Mm -hmm. And so what I would generally describe now, yes, there absolutely is a physical reason why your back hurts. There is a physical reason why your shoulder hurts, etc. But there is never, ever, in almost 15 years of doing this, been a client who doesn't have an emotional reason as well. So basically what a simplification of it is that we have certain processing capacities. Some people's are tremendous. Some people's are quite low. And when we get to the place where we have processed all that we can, we still have to get on with our day. We have to deal with our kids. We have to deal with our jobs and our spouses and our coworkers and our friends, etc. So we basically pack up whatever emotion is left. And we stuff that inside our body. And I've noticed that there's certain areas of the body where we'll commonly keep tension. So there was a client that every time she would talk about her mom, it was always related to her hips being in pain. So all of us kind of have that where depending on what the topic is, or depending on what kind of area of our life we feel that stress in, it could be finances, it could be our primary relationship. It could be our job. So we hate our job or we want to quit and choose a different career. We don't want to sell our business. It could be our home environment. It could be spirituality, creativity, education. There's a whole range of different things. But when something isn't aligned and we're feeling emotional stress in that area, we tend to have it stuffed down into our body. So the work that I do is primarily on the body, but I have a space where people have that invitation to chat through things and they do. So as I'm doing body work with people, outcome stories of businesses that are no longer serving that person, outcome stories of broken marriages that are breaking or spouses that they no longer want to be married to, outcome stories of affairs, outcome stories of you name it, I've heard everything over the years. Oh my goodness. And so I'm, I'm really putting these pieces together where I'm not a therapist, but helping people feel safe to express and just share in a completely safe space where there's no shame the things that are coming out of their bodies as they're as they're releasing this literal physical compression out of their bodies outcome these stories and revelations and it's not every session, it's not every client, it's not every day, but people right. can go as far as they want to with that and I think we always think of our brains and our bodies being completely separate, but they're one and the same. so when we're mentally overloaded, our bodies are too, but vice versa
0: yeah. So are you so do you do um is it more like a yoga thing? Is it more of like a massage thing? Is it more of like an exercise thing? Like what exactly physically do you (laughs) or is it literally everyone whatever people need, that's what you that's what you do. It's actually
1: whatever people need. So I'm what I call discipline agnostic. I have a bunch of different modalities that I have certified certifications in. Those include yoga, those include critical alignment therapy, yamina yeah, body rolling, Pilates, nutrition in a holistic sense, mm-hmm. um, et cetera. So there, there's a whole bunch of different modalities. They all tend to skew on that slightly more gentle side, um, but I would describe it as a Venn diagram between a physiotherapist and a personal trainer. So a physiotherapist is going to get you moving, a personal trainer is going to deal with somebody who wants to exercise. I'm dealing with people that find that movement and comfortable movement, their body is being held back. So I get people who say, I just want to garden, but my back really hurts or I would just want to take a walk, but it's uncomfortable. I also get people on the other end of the spectrum who are super athletic and high level com- competitive athletes, but most people have things they want to do in their life. And at some point, When they come to see me, they just find that their body is holding them back a little bit from achieving their goals. So I'm building sustainable, realistic plans that address the underlying emotions and biomechanics of why somebody is in the place where they're at. And some people don't want to deal with that emotional part. I don't force that. Um, We do have to do the physical work. some people really do get into that emotional work and they find that their result is often quite a lot better. But every client leaves with underlying education that they didn't have before. So in junior high and high school, you know, we learned about our bones and muscles, but that doesn't really translate to how we should move as a healthy adult. And every client is going to leave with body awareness tools that they simply didn't have before. So that's then that does tend to translate into emotions. So when we're in our body, and we can say this is what a neutral body feels like versus now let's feel the side we didn't do. That's what a compressed body feels like. We can often tie that back into emotions, because a lot of us are sitting with very compressed, congested emotions, and emotional
0: states, and we're not even aware of it. Oh, I absolutely believe it. It's Okay. So what you do is so interesting to me. And I'm, as you're talking, I'm literally, so I like coach people through finances and through budgeting and whatever. And I have a course, it is straight money mindset. (laughs) It's like, it's an amazing course, but it's so funny because it's like, it's, I keep calling it the course that people don't know that they need because it's like, it's people want the sexiness of, okay, let's do a budget. Let's get out of debt. Let's do all these things. But the true work that needs to be done is the mindset. It is like your relationship with money and your you know childhood experiences with money and you know all of this emotion that surrounds money. We feel like money is a very tactile like thing but it's so emotional. Um, and so I feel like exactly what you're saying it's like, you know people's bodies are holding them back a lot of yes probably you know physically for certain reasons as we get older or whatever but a lot of it is like there's a deep emotional work there's like work on worthiness and just you know i mean taking time for yourself to even freaking do it and so it's just i feel like there's a big parallel here because Absolutely. people want to know like why am i not moving forward in my finances it's like well You know what to do, but you haven't dealt with the deep work that you need to. You know the emotions behind it. So, oh my goodness, this is such good work.
1: On the nutrition end of things, I always say to clients, "You know the difference between potato chips and carrots. Everybody does. (laughs) You know, children do. So, if we are eating a bag of potato chips every night, that has nothing to do with the actual underlying information of what is healthy. What does my body need to eat?" What is better for me? We know this stuff, so why are we not actually executing it? There is a different reason for that. (laughs) It's not because we actually need the underlying education. Now, in our bodies, when it comes to movement, I do find that
0: we often do need underlying education because we're not given it. But
1: nutrition, I mean,
0: right? It's right. It's like chicken and broccoli is better than chips and queso, and same with your budget. You just you have an income and just don't spend you know, like spend less than you make and you're good. Like the, like the basic idea is very simple. We all know this. More nutritious. Right. We know this, we know the bottom line. It is there, it does get more intricate, but it's, it's deeper than that because really, like you said, you you really know that you should probably be eating chicken and broccoli and not, you know, another cheeseburger from McDonald's. So that's not the real issue here.
1: So I think it is, it's the same. It all leads back to the conversation we were having earlier, which is emotional coping, emotional toolkits, and that whole emotional wheel, which ends up impacting everything else in our life. It ends up impacting our exercise. It ends up impacting our relationships and our parenting and our finances, everything. Because if we are trying to fundamentally outrun our emotions. We're going to do these little things <laughs> that we think are either avoiding the emotion or rebelling against it. And it's manifesting in weight gain or unhealthy bodies or deep debt, etc.
0: But it all leads back to, we just don't have that emotional toolkit to just right thrive in some area. And it is funny, like we were talking, we were talking about earlier, it really can manifest in so many ways. Like I, I am like a budget queen. Like I literally could do anyone's budget, but I suck at nutrition. (laughs) Like I would prefer a cheeseburger all day long. You know, I mean, most of us would like nutrition is such an area of weakness for me, but like money come at me all day long where somebody else might be great with nutrition and working out, but can't figure out finances. And it's just funny. Like whatever, you know, we all have like this Achilles heel of, you know, we know what to do and we're doing okay in other areas, but there's just one area that that is where, you know, we just choose to kind of, I don't even know, keep all of our stuff like down, (laughs) down deep or something. I don't know.
1: (laughs) That's a great point though, because it's, it, it is not something where, once we fully have that emotional toolkit that the rest of life is just like, whoa, you know, we're always going to have areas of struggle and we're always going to have areas of growth. And we're always going to have areas where we just, something doesn't make sense. And I have that in the area of my primary relationship, you know, business mm-hmm. is easy for me. Lots of things are easy for me and just makes sense in a way that I often see people struggle with these things
0: but when it comes right. to that primary relationship I'm like
1: I don't get it. <laughs> right.
0: What are you doing here? <laughs> yep. Yep, I totally I totally get it. And and I feel like what you do so just like going back to your whole story here which is the whole point of this series is that you know we grow up we grew up one way. We grew up, you know, like you said kind of um what's the word? Like um I don't not you weren't able to express your emotions. Let's just say that. I don't want to jump very, to any anything deeper than that. Yeah. And so like you you weren't able to express your emotions. And now, you know, your mom, your grandfather did the best that he absolutely could. Your mother did the best that she could. And now you, with the information that you're learning now in this culture, we're, we're almost too much information. But – we're just realizing how important it is to talk about things and to learn how to cope with things and to have those conversations. And so now you're teaching that to your son. And not only are you teaching that to your son, so he is seeing something healthy, but you are also now working with other people through your business to just create lasting change. So I think what you're doing is amazing. I think we probably kind of do the same thing. Only you do it in like the physical sense. I do it in the money sense. Um, so I just love, I feel like we're all over all over just, uh, you know, doing, there's so many, uh, this, this series has been so motivational just for me because I'm just seeing how many people have like kind of stood up, you know, dusted the knee, the dirt off their knees and like freaking did something about it and is totally pivoting changing course and kind of be in this like inflection point almost in their family's narrative. So I absolutely love it. Thank you so much, Janice, for coming on. Where can people find you? Like, are you I know that you're in a you're in like a brick and mortar, but are you also in the online space as well? I sure am. So I do complete
1: services online. I do privates. I also have some group classes that are served online. And those privates are really the business where I thrive because I love creating one-to-one plans for people. I think that group classes are super helpful. They give you the information, but I talk about it like painting a house where you can do it with a roller, or you can do it with a fine tip pen and really get those details. And So I have taken everything digitally. I do still offer bricks and mortar services, of course, um, but it translates beautifully into digital as well. So
0: I'm accessible literally anywhere in the world now. That's awesome. Do you have like an Instagram handle or um, a website that people could find you at? I have all
1: the things. (laughs) Okay,
0: you can you can you can tell us on here, and then just um, if you can shoot me like a uh, a message or whatever, I'll also put those in the show notes.
1: Perfect. So my business name is My Body Couture. That's three words: My M Y Body B O D Y Couture, which means custom C O U T U R E. So the first and easiest way to get to me is through my website. You can send me a message there. Sign up for my mailing list, etc. I'm also heavily active on both Instagram and Facebook under the same slash. I am on Twitter, I am on YouTube. And I'm also on LinkedIn, YouTube and LinkedIn. I'm under my personal name, which is Janice spelled like Janice Joplin, J-A-N-I-S. My last name is I-S-A-M-A-N. And then I'm an author and writer for Elephant Journal. So you can find my articles on relationships, parenting, fitness, finances, etc. at Elephant Journal under my personal name.
0: Well, okay, then you are all over the place. All <laughs> the places. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah, I need to get I need to do like YouTube. I'm on Twitter. I think I've posted once but Instagram, I've at least figured out. <laughs> Good Lord, I was just on Facebook, so I'm at least on two places now. Well, that is awesome. I will li- I will have everything that you just mentioned in the show notes, you guys. So if you are interested in working with Janice or just following her, just encouragement and guidance, um, I would I will put all that stuff out there for you. So again, Janice, thank you so much. I am like so impressed with everything that you've done, just from your past to now. Um, thank you so much for just stepping into this space and helping everybody out in this area. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, man. Okay. What an amazing conversation this was. You know, I love listening to other women just tell their stories. You know, no strings attached. We're not trying to do anything except just sit down and listen. I feel like there's just a lack of that sometimes these days where everything is kind of one-sided. We get the, you know, story from social media or whatever else, but to really sit down and have these conversations is such a blessing, and I especially love the progression of this story from her grandfather who dealt with the trauma of World War II, you know, internally, because that was the culture of the day. And the only way he knew how was to cope was to cope with alcohol, right? But then her mother didn't continue the drinking. So she's taking a step forward and therefore parenting the best that she knew how. And then you have Janice, who just found this need and desire to navigate through all of her emotions and learn how to adequately, adequately express them. And in turn, teaching her son and her clients with her business, you know, we all want our ceiling to be our children's floor. And this story is a perfect picture of that and so make sure you guys check out Janice on social media and you know she's everywhere (laughs) you can't miss her and I will have all that contact information like I said in the show notes so you guys there was going to actually be one more of these conversations to come to kind of close out 2020 I hope you are enjoying just these just a little bit different conversations where women are just opening up and, you know, sharing about their story and, um, pursuit of generational change, whatever that looks like to them. And so you guys, I look forward to continue walking with you and helping you find your grit while completely covering you in grace.